Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chakras and Cuss Words. And today I have my special guest, Miss Jess Rich, who I actually found from TikTok. Can you guys believe this? Like, <laughs> my TikToking is actually being beneficial. So I don't want to hear anything from my husband saying I'm on my phone too much because um, I'm finding like amazing guests from these social media apps. So she has written a book about surviving trafficking and the anti-trafficking movement. I love the way she tells her story. I am so happy she is here. And I know we are centered on a very hard topic and a topic that brings a lot of maybe trauma back up or healing spaces and reflections. But the way that she brings her story to light is such an energizing and really makes you feel like you can almost accomplish everything in your healing journey. And I'm so happy to have you on. Miss Jess, please welcome to Chakras and Cuss Words and introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. This is really an amazing moment because I just jumped on TikTok and when I found you, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> it was really confirming to me that I was like doing the right thing because I'm a new adopter. Right. But like trafficking itself is so sensationalized. Like it's turned into in the media that it's like, so we can't fathom anything worse than this. Mm -hmm. But really, abuse is abuse is abuse is abuse. Trauma is trauma. And we all, every single one of us, have experienced like really hard times, really traumatic times. And yet, we're still here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we made it. Like how many days have we like not known if we were going to make it through the day and right. yet we did anyway. Right. And so that is what I choose to focus on is not only did I survive, I made it, I rose. And then I choose each day who and how I'm going to be. Right. Yeah. And, and you really like became one with it, like owning everything that has happened, everything that you've kind of like played in that area of events. And can you like share a little bit of your story? Like, don't give it all away because we want to like get everybody into that book. Like, yes, but just share us like, how did this happen to you? Like what, what happened? Right. And it seems so crazy because again, trafficking is so sensationalized. But it's really, my life was just this evolution of like one unfortunate event after another. And that, that's really, to me, the beauty of life is that we all just wake up every day and do what's in front of us. Right. And at some point we turn around and we look back and we go, wow, I really have been through a lot. And that, that was my story. I didn't know I like had gone through anything that was different. 
because I was just living my own life every day. I've just lived my own life. And that to me is beautiful because when we get wrapped up in other images and other ideals, we lose ourselves. And I, from a very young age, I was an only child. Mm-hmm. And my mom just poured into me because I came from generational abuse. Mm. So my mom and dad, they had tons of trauma and they really wanted me and they wanted to do something different. Like they didn't want the same things to be passed down, but at the same time, they weren't vocal. They didn't speak about or warn me mm. about the potential dangers. They were just silent and they didn't do anything themselves to hurt me. But yet, like there were three neighbor boys who started having sex with me when I was four. Mm. And I call it sex instead of rape, even though we all know it's rape. Right. right. But I was four. No one told me about sex. And to me, like I thought it was love. And Mm. I didn't know that it was wrong. I didn't know that there was anything wrong about it because it felt good. And I think that when you're looking at like young childhood sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. that we forget the experience, like as it happened as a child. Mm -hmm. And then we put all this extra shame on ourselves for like having pleasure. And I didn't realize that that was a really common thing until I started sharing my story. Right. And as I shared, it validated me so much that like, this is a normal human response. I am supposed to be sexual. That just got activated when I was four. Right. And yes, it was wrong, but also a 13 year old boy doesn't wake up one day and go like, geez, I'm sick of playing my Atari. I think I'm going to go fuck the girl next door. Right. (laughs) I think I'm going to be a a molester now. Right. (laughs) Right. These are generational cycles. Right. Then unless we stand up and break the silence, it really does continue from person mm-hmm. to person, generation to generation. And so like we moved away. My life, life just kind of went on. Mm-hmm. My father ended up murdered when I was 10 and mm-hmm. it was a young man that killed him. So oh it was God. the same thing. Like it was right. the, the dude who killed him was 17. And so it's like these same cycles I have seen over and over in my life. Right. Um, my mom got remarried and I ended up running away from home. I've been on my own since I was 14. Wow. And really just looking for family, looking for community, people who would accept me. Right. And I really just over the last few years came to terms with being neurodivergent. So mm-hmm. I'm also on the autism spectrum, Asperger's. Like I always identified more with Rain Man. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, I, I feel like there's a connection <laughs> with him. Right. Right. I mean, like I, I have a deep love for algebra, which is really weird. Wow. I wish I knew you during my nursing prereqs. Words were like not my thing numbers and math spreadsheets that was my jam like originally that that was my safe zone and it was funny because as I was coming to terms with my neuro quirkiness 
uh, this gal who knew me from middle school, she was one of my closest friends. She called me. We talk like once a decade, you know, right. one, one of those friends. And she's like, don't you remember? And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about because too much trauma, right. some things right. you don't remember. She's like, when you were like 11, she, she was like, you would just tremble and shake. She's like, you would just be like, why don't they understand me? And I'm like, oh, oh, shit, there it is. Right. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Like some of that quirkiness can literally just be beat out of you. And that in my life has actually been a benefit because it's allowed me to now be able to not just rectify my stories and really understand the nuances within it. And be able to take away the blame and the bitterness and the shame and speak with bold compassion, because I understand that we all do things for reasons, right? It doesn't make what we did. Okay. But it makes it understandable. Mm. And if we're forgiveness is a byproduct it, like if we go into healing, thinking that we need to forgive somebody, we're never going to get there because like it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. But if you go into your healing journey, deciding that you really just want a deeper understanding and more perspective and to see something larger than the stories that have been replaying in our heads and our nightmares for years, decades, when you go in and you're like, I just need something bigger mm-hmm. than my own pain. And you start to see the perspectives of the other people, like what we just did with that 13 year old boy. Right. Yeah. That, that is like an an actual example of how I healed from that because I spent a long time blaming him. Yeah. And when I could see the cycles, the culture, Mm -hmm. the pain that he was living in, forgiveness became the byproduct of seeing all those different perspectives. Mm -hmm. so by the time boy by the time I was 17 I was already in and out of a gang I had already witnessed multiple murders I had already like been running drugs I was a token white girl and (laughs) token white girl for the gang they're like she's (laughs) she's the one we need her we need her (laughs) right we need need the slow bunny I've always been called a cracker and I'm like, if I'm going to be a cracker, I'm going to be an entertainment cracker. Right. You know, I'm the one that you put out on display where yeah. everybody's watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and that was actually really beautiful because I, I learned to know my role and to know my position in society and mm-hmm. how to leverage the privilege that I've been given. Because privilege is something that we can't see. We don't know that we have it because we just live within it mm-hmm. our entire life. Right, right. And I don't have a lot of privileges that other white people have. Right. Because I didn't come from money. Right. By 30 years old, both my parents were gone. All of my ban- grandparents are gone. I buried everyone in my family that is wow. older than me. Wow. And... So no money, no life insurance. So not only did I bury them, I buried them with like campaigns right. <laughs> like to help me bury yeah. them. Yeah. And like, but yet I look so normal and yeah. I look 
I look like the average middle class, upper class white woman. But yet when I speak, they're like, wow, there's this weird nuance. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really one of my biggest messages is that we truly can't judge people from how they look. Right. We, we don't know the stories. We don't know what they've been through in order to achieve what they have now and right. the amount of work that they put into it. Yeah. So really when it came down to my pimp, like I had been through so much. And at this point I was working at this little waffle house in Portland, Oregon. And this dude was just my regular. He kept coming in and he asked me one day, he said, you know, if you're already having sex, why wouldn't you want to get paid? I mean, I, it kind of <laughs> makes sense. You're like, shit, that's a good question. Right. It was mind blowing. I'm like, I'm working for like two bucks an hour plus tips, you know, two quarters yeah. next to the coffee cup. And I've been having sex since I was four. And you're telling me I could get paid for this shit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. Okay. Okay. Are you serious? Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, heck, sorry. Oh, I, no. said, I said a word and Siri came up. Oh, <laughs> Siri's like, uh, are you talking to me? Right. Siri's like, like, I hey. get paid too, honey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, um, so, it, like, it just made sense. But then he also helped me change my name. And so I lived under a false name for four and a half years because my biggest obstacle was I was 17 at this time, just turned 17, and my mom would not emancipate me. And all I wanted was freedom. And so it's like when I got an apartment, she had to co-sign. Everything I did, she had to co-sign or sign up for something. She was like always there. And all I wanted was freedom from her. And he was like, well, I can get you a fake birth certificate. You know, who do you want to be? And I was like, are you serious? I don't have to be 17 anymore, really? Right. Not realizing that no one would be able to find me. Yeah. If I was under a different name. Yeah. That could be a (laughs) problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like 17, I wasn't thinking straight, you know, it's like, I was just on this adventure of life living every day. Mm -hmm. And as opportunities came, I would take them. And so I had this opportunity to change my name and I became Joanna Mm. and So it's really kind of funny to me because I've never really been 17, 18, 19, 20, but I have been 22, 23, 24, and 25 twice. Oh, wow. Because (laughs) you changed your, and of course you changed your age too. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's like Joanna went from 22 to 26. And then right after I turned 26, I went back to being 20. And then turned 21 and went through all of that again. And so it was. So how long did you live under this? Well, it was four and a half years. Wow. And so, but which also meant I was a Taurus. And so I had to learn. Joanna was a Taurus. Jessica, Jess is a Gemini, which is the most (laughs) Gemini thing you can do is become a Taurus. Right. <laughs> right. You're like from an air sign to an earth sign. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just whatever. Like right. I learned how to be a bull. Right. Right. That's funny. That is, 
that is funny wild right but because of that discrepancy in dates like I really had to take on this different identity and I never intended on going back okay I fully like accepted that I was Joanna and this is just who I was going to be I burned everything that was Jessica and ironically it was harder to get my original name back than it was to even become Joanna because some of the technology was being developed. Oh. <laughs> and so in that four and a half year span, it was a lot harder to get my original birth information back. Like we had to go to my high school and get yearbooks and stuff like that and to be prove able to prove who you were. <laughs> right. Right. So that was just an adventure in and of itself. So during those four years, were you being sex trafficked or with the pimp? Well, for the first 14 to 15 months, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like we started in Portland and he just started moving me fast, city to city to city. And that's part of it is that constant instability Mm -hmm. keeps you off kilter. And it it was really intense because it's like I had a thousand dollar a day quota And it was like, I had to make my quota. There was no options. And this was really also where I started to really understand racism because Mm -hmm. he had this really intense fear around being seen with a white girl because he was a black man and an older black man. Mm -hmm. And like we had our tires slashed, we had our hotel windows shot out. And so it really reinforced my trauma bond to him because I couldn't understand why people would be so hateful because of skin color. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I look at society, all of these things, poverty is systemic racism, Mm -hmm. the criminal justice, justice is in quotes here, criminal justice system, like it's all intertwined because if you haven't been exposed to racism in general right the the shock of understanding racism Mm -hmm. just reinforced that it was truly me and him against the world right right and it probably really united that that bond that trauma bond where it almost felt like he's like saving you right he's like right he's there helping you and saving you and even though what you're doing at the time probably you know, like, how did you, did you feel like you were okay with it? Or did you feel like I got to get out of this? There, you know what, for a a huge part of it, like we all have bad days, right? But for the most part, it was more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And it really improved my money mindset, knowing that at 17, I'm making 30 grand a month minimum. Like yeah. that, that will do something <laughs> to your money mindset. Yeah. You're like, wow, I have value. I right. have real legit value. Unfortunately, it was stuck to my sexuality for a long time. And right. so I didn't know my value outside of my sexuality. Yeah. And that was a whole different healing journey. But I, I discovered my value and who I was really. There were two very significant beatings that, mm undid that brainwashing and attachment to him Mm. and very briefly because I don't want to traumatize anyone um I was kidnapped at one point and 
I woke up three days later, um, wow. naked, tied up in a closet oh, wow. and there was no one around. Like I shimmied my way out of the bungee cords and ran naked in crusted blood through Waikiki. <laughs> and wow. It always baffles me that no one stopped me. Like it was like a mile, mile and a half. And then I had to take the elevator up to the 28th floor. And I'm like, this has been one of my standards for living. Right. If I ever see anyone naked and running, yeah. like, um, see if they need help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what just happened to you? Are you okay? Right. Like, you how like, can, can I help call you? the police? Can I call yeah, the ambulance? Like, can I call the paramedics? What is what right. is going on? Yeah. Like do something because that is a very clear sign that there is something not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not that's that's not okay. Routine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I make it to our condo and I'm banging on the door and he opens and he literally just picked me up and he held me on his lap and he cried. Like it was the only time I ever saw him cry. He cried and I could not figure out why. Right. And so I asked him and it, it occurred to me, he, he said, I thought you were dead. Right. And when you think about it, I'm on an island. There's only so many places you can go. Yeah. I hadn't chosen. I wasn't out working. None of the other pimps saw me. I hadn't like gone to anyone else. And you're missing to him because he's I'm, like, where's my, yeah. where's my snow bunny at? Yeah. Where is she? Yeah. She's. She's not in jail because I would have been able to make a phone call. Right. Not in jail. Not in the hospital. Not, not in the, on the, not in the hospital, not on the track. Right. And she's on an Island. She's dead. Yeah. And it occurred to me that he couldn't protect me because up until that point, I had believed that he could save me, protect me from anything. Mm. And it was that moment that I realized he couldn't protect me. And I was like, oh, oh, it really is just me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what, what do I do with this? Yeah. What do I do with that? And we ended up like going back to the mainland and I, I started really like looking for my open door because getting away from him was not easy. It took me months of planning, mm. but I was like kind of betting on the world still. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there's going to be someone who helps me, someone who gets it. And, um, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody came. In other words, uh... nobody came. Yeah. So the next stop, we were up in Seattle at this point. And I don't know what possessed him, but he put me on a Greyhound bus to go to Canada. Uh -huh. And I have since found out that I think he actually did that to kill me because he wow. sent me into the heart of a massive gang war by myself. 
Uh, and because I've met other survivors that are from uh-huh. that and that worked that same area because I worked Hastings up in Vancouver, BC, which actually makes me an international trafficking survivor. How do you like that? I get an extra wow. check mark. I know. <laughs> right. You're internationally. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. <laughs> I'm an international snow buddy. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so like literally I made it three days on the track before I got jumped by other hoes and my head was completely caved in. It was a cabbie who took me out of the gutter, took me to the hospital. I received amazing Canadian healthcare because they put me back together. My face was flattened, black and blue. They stomped my head. So I was missing chunks of hair. Uh, It it was like nothing I've ever experienced. And, and that was from other, from other women. Yeah. Because they're protective. Like you have to make your money. And I was up there cleaning house and you think I'm cute now at 43. (laughs) You (laughs) should have seen me. (laughs) I had five kids. Right, 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 right. (laughs) You should see me back then, honey. I was something serious. Right. And it still am. (laughs) But like, I really think that he didn't intend for me to come back. Right. And that was just like, wow. So I woke up three days later again. There's lots of threes in my story. It's really interesting. Mm. So I woke up three days later and he was just like, come home, get on the Greyhound and come back. And it was going through customs that I was like, oh, here's my chance. Like border patrol, they're going to help me. Right. Like that. It seems right. So I get off the bus, Mm -hmm. walk through the customs And I have my long blonde hair and I had big glasses on because my face is literally like everything was fractured. Everything was swollen. It was purple and flat. And the agent, like, he's like, take off your glasses. And I took my glasses off and he looked at me and he goes, go. And I was like, dude, just spit on me. Right. If border patrol, if customs isn't going to help me, no one is coming. Right, right. And wow. that that was my second wake up call that I knew I had to save myself. Mm-hmm. And really, we all have to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. As much as we think that the government or our jobs or someone is going to help us. The reality is, is we must first help ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that really started my journey out. Like it took me a while to heal, to be able to work again. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to work, this was before GPSs. And so I I had a pager, Mm -hmm. but I had an advantage because he couldn't physically track me. And so I would go to my first client and I would get like 1500 bucks. And then I would dole it out to him throughout the day to buy myself time. What I was doing with that time was sitting in the law library in Seattle and studying the laws around the sex industry. Because I was trying to answer the questions like, why do we have strip clubs? 
Why are massage and escort like able to advertise in the weekly newspapers, but yet prostitution is illegal? Yeah. So where, where is the boundaries? Where are the lines? Right. And I would take that information and I'm sure it looked crazy as hell because, you know, I looked like a straight up hoe because I was a right. straight up hoe. <laughs> right. You're like, <laughs> right. Hey, I look like one because I was living that life. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. here I am sitting at the law library and I'm just like, let me study all the hoe, you know, the, yeah. the hoe laws. Give me those. Right. right. And And so I started playing like with the laws with my clients. So it was like, (laughs) they would go and they'd pay me the fee. I'd go and they'd pay me the fee. And Mm -hmm. then they'd be like, oh, I want to have sex. And I'd be like, whoa, what do you think I am? Like, that's illegal. Mm. And so they couldn't, what are they going to do? Call the cops. If I'm not doing anything illegal, call them. Right, right, right. And so it was like, I was playing in a really glitchy way, just Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to continue like making money, but yet also like play within the laws and maybe turn it into something legal so that I could have an option. So one of the services that I was working for, she actually called me one day and she was like, listen, I don't know what you're doing, but I can tell that you're still getting the money because I was paying my fees. And Mm -hmm. she's like, what are you doing? She was facing two strikes in a three strikes and she's doing life in prison. And, and she was a service girl or she was like, what was she doing exactly? She was like, a sex worker. Oh, um, oh, oh. So it empowered, well, she was like, um, right. had it empowered. She was an independent sex worker. She didn't have she a didn't pimp. have a pimp. Correct. Right. And okay. so she was like, what's going on? I'm going to go to prison if you don't like tell me Help what me. you're with here. Right. And it was her who helped me get away. She basically oh. said, let's make a deal. And she's like, you help me rebuild my business, retrain everyone. Right. And I will hide you. And for the next three years, that's what we did. And we ended up building a substantial escort service in Seattle and helped actually a lot of people. I think this is one of my biggest problems with the anti-trafficking movement in general is that the sex industry is not going to go away. No, it's like going to be around forever because it's the oldest profession in the world. Right. Right. That, but there's lots of people who are in the industry for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some are there by choice. Some are there by force. That is a spectrum. And so the people who are actually really helping people get away from traffickers, get away from pimps, are mm-hmm. sex workers themselves. Mm, yeah. That, that's who helped me and her and I, we helped lots of other people get away from their pimps because right. like, if you're already doing it, if you were doing it independently and now you're able right. to keep that money, right now you have financial resources to go and get the help and go and do the things that you want to do. You can figure out the next steps. Right. Right. And that was really the key. And that was also the key for me into what I do now. And it was like business development. Wow. Solving problems. (laughs) Yeah. That that is one (laughs) hell of a problem to solve. Yeah, (laughs) that is. Wow. Wow. So it's, it's been one heck of an adventure, but we can solve any problem if we're willing to really look at it objectively. 
Right. And say, okay, where, where is the pathway out? There's right. always a path. How do we find that path and leverage whatever privilege we have to be able to do that? And sometimes right. that privilege is really just finding that tiny bit of time. Right. So I could go study. So you knew like, because with your book, you also have that you survived the anti-trafficking, <laughs> which well, is, is where like, it's really fun where it's like the sex trafficking wasn't the biggest problem. Like I also survived the anti-trafficking movement. So when, was that like when you got out of it and then you're now working with anti-traffickers who are quote unquote, you know, trying to help you. Right. Like, what was that dynamic? Like what happened there? Was it just like another, basically somebody controlling you again? Kind of, it was more like self-exploitation in a lot of ways. Um, There was also a 10 year gap. So I squared up real hard. Like you would never have guessed that I had had the story that I had. I, right. Like I had a daughter, ended up meeting a man that was really awesome. We had more kids. Like I was a soccer mom through and through. And I, like, I looked the part, I played the part and I was really doing a lot of deep internal healing also because Mm -hmm. that I was not okay when I left the sex industry and it was like heal or die. And those first few years were really intense healing with my oldest, like being pregnant, first time not doing drugs, like trying to just figure out how to human. Mm -hmm. So by the time I meet my husband and we start having more kids, I was already launched into like the full entrepreneur space. I was running businesses. I was Mm. really doing a lot of volunteer work in the community and no one had a clue. Wow. I, I was just like normal entrepreneur mom person looked right. so average, but I ended up at this big com- convention and I heard about trafficking for the first time over lunch. And it happened to be in a hotel that I was trafficked in. <laughs> huh. Right. You're like, I, I feel like this is a sign. Yeah. Right. And I was Something like, Whoa. telling me something. Yeah. Right. So I ended up going public on the evening news. Like it was not a little <laughs> like thing, but because I was so connected with the community, right. it was like, okay, we're going to do an exclusive. And here it is. I truly had, this is more that neurodivergent stuff, had no clue how the world would view me (laughs) because it was like within the context of the story, like it all makes sense. Right. Right. Um, What they saw was a whore. And I was like, oh, now my kids can't go to school. Oh, wow. Because they're like being bullied because, you know, my daughter's in second grade and they're like, oh, your mom's a whore. She's a whore. And I'm like, um, really? This is what we're doing. Right. Like- <laughs> right. No, like about the journey of healing or overcoming all the obstacles or building businesses from literally. Right. Yeah. Just straight Wait. to the trajectory of, oh, you must be a whore. Yeah. Right. Well, and like how much <laughs> can you really get into a four minute interview? Yeah. Like it, how you have a 500 word article. 
You can only tell so much of the story and normal mainstream media is just looking for the most sensational thing. Right. And so they said all kinds of crazy things like Soccer not even sex trafficker, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, we had that fun with that title. <laughs> and you have zero control over it. And this is right. 2009. So like mm-hmm. literally I could only find three other survivors in the entire country who were talking about it. So it is so early in the movement yeah. that there was no real like blueprint on how to tell the worst parts of your life and come out feeling okay. Well, I can tell you I've been, and I know women who have been trafficked and been in that industry. And I've reached out to many women from just, you know, hearing their stories and stuff to just come on the podcast and share their story. You're my first. And I've been looking for about maybe two years. Stigma I've been is trying, real. Huh? Stigma is yes. real and it kills people. And that, that was my problem. There's lots of problems within the anti-trafficking movement, but namely like the savior thing Mm -hmm. that people rescuing, we cannot rescue people. We can rescue animals, but we cannot rescue people because if you're taking someone against their will, that sounds an awful lot like trafficking. Mm-hmm. The only difference is the intentions. Mm-hmm. And if you're forcing someone out before they want to go out, they're going to go right back. And that's why the re-entry rate is in the high 90 percentile. Mm-hmm. People go into programs and right out the back door. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're being taken against their will. It, it, even my pimp had the respect to build a relationship with me before he trafficked me. What we see within the anti-trafficking movement is literally like snatch and grab rescues. Mm. And then we wonder why it doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are humans. Have some respect. Right. Yeah. It allow them the space to go on that journey because when they actually really want to leave, Mm-hmm. They leave for good, mm. but you can't go from like, I was going into Paul Mitchell salons and getting my hair done because I was the product. And if you're put in a shelter getting dollar store shampoo, um, no, it doesn't <laughs> right. work that way. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not using this suave, honey. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is not what I'm used to. Right. Yeah. So there's so many, it's so complex. But the moral of the story is truly that you have to save yourself. And if you want to help people, it's helping them find their voice so they can save themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we need real resources because going and getting a job at McDonald's or Walmart is not going to cut it. Mm. But the skills that I learned in the industry are what paved the way for me to have multiple businesses throughout the last 20 years. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it, because it's real skills. Right, right. It, it, some people call them transferable skills, but it's like, what are we transferring them from? It's business right. to business. It's like, and they're it's just skills. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just learned them in a weird way. Right. It, it, but I was learning business and negotiation and sales Mm-hmm. Well, my friends were still in high school. 
Mm. So once you go past the trauma, once you work through what you've experienced, Mm -hmm. the other side of that is having access to those skills that already exist inside of you that allow you to be like superhuman in your abilities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the anti-trafficking was wild just in a whole nother way between religion and the exploitation of nonprofits and churches. And then what I call the survivor head pat. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like, oh, you're so cute. Great job sharing your story, but anything that you actually know, yeah, leave that to the white men in the suits. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, the white men in the suits haven't gone through what we've gone through. They were the ones who were my clients. Right. And I could tell you a lot about the white men in the suits. Oh, I bet. Right. (laughs) Right. Like it's still, they wanted to in some way profit from your story, like create this area of like, this is our, this is our, um, nonprofit, you know, but we're saving you, but we need you to share. And isn't that exploitation just in and of itself? Right. And that, that, that's what I didn't get right in the beginning. I, I, it took me about four years to really get down to it. And honestly, the demise, I had a nonprofit, a consulting agency for four years, working with the organizations who were doing the work. Mm -hmm. And it came down to the gay marriage fight in 2014. Mm. And I was so baffled by the hypocrisy that when I started standing up for my survivors and you know what, just to fully expose myself, I was one of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I had the judgment too, but as I listened and did the work, Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I can't ever be that. Mm -hmm. And when I stood up, we lost all funding within three months. Survivors had to go back to their traffickers because they had nowhere else to go. One of my closest friends, he ended up killing himself because um, they were taking, he was a survivor and doing street outreach and they pulled all his funding. The political fight that completely misses the basics of human rights, Mm -hmm. that is one of the ugliest things I have ever seen right it that that actually sent me into the underground again for another six years I didn't really come out and start talking um, from 2014 to 2020 Mm. I was completely hidden I didn't want anything to do with anything and it wasn't until 2020 and the lockdowns happened that I was like oh the entire world is experiencing trauma I need to help them understand how to handle it Mm -hmm. And that was when I started speaking and sharing again, Mm. but I really had no intention. Had the lockdowns not happened, I might've just stayed underground forever because (laughs) the activism side and dealing with the the threats and the very real danger, it's a lot. Activism. Yeah. I, I, I did, you know, a little bit with nursing and just even in the beginning, like just saying like, um, 
nurses need masks and, you know, and just, just little stuff. And, and, you know, and raising masks throughout the community and giving my opinions and thoughts. I had people like stalking me on Facebook and taking photos of, from my Facebook and like sharing them on different sites. So to me, I was like, personally for me, I don't feel like I can put my family at risk, you know, for some of the act. I like if you're an activist, like I salute you because in, because I know that fear, you know, a li- I just got a little taste and I was like, Ooh, no, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll stick behind the mic. <laughs> right, right. And that's the funny part is that I'm not, I've never really identified as an activist. Right. I just speak my truth. Like this right. is just my story. Yeah. I tell yeah. my story and right. suddenly I'm an activist. Right. And it's like, can't I just be like an activist for logic? Right. Because- Compassion. <laughs> Right. We have real problems in the world right. yeah. and we need, we need real solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that has been my focus. My entire life is real practical solutions leading with love and kindness and the ability to listen. Because when I first started sharing, I had all these ideas about how things were quote unquote supposed to be, mm-hmm. and none of them were right. Right. And that's okay. I I listened and I learned and I grew. And that's really Mm -hmm. what my book is about is that evolution of how do you go from just sharing your story and it is my story, but then how do I help other people? Mm -hmm. How do I really impact the world in a way that helps other people know that they can overcome regardless of what they've experienced? Yeah. Yeah. And so that journey love wins in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just tell you the end. Love right. wins. Love wins. But it's a few hundred pages to get there. Right. <laughs> how, how, like, and then when in 2020, you kind of like came back out and was like, I need to continue this. I need to continue where I kind of like left, left from, right. You leave that mm-hmm. shadow area and you're like, okay, maybe at that time I couldn't talk about it or I didn't want to go back there, but now I'm ready to, how, mm-hmm. how did you get in that path of like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to get centered in this, like being back out there again. Like, how did you just accomplish those limiting beliefs of getting back out there? I, I just jump. Like yeah, right. when you <laughs> jump, there's no way out. And most of the book had already actually been written. Uh, it wow. sat in a Google Drive for five years, unopened. Well, you're giving and, me hope now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. It like when I opened it after literally there was a file on my computer. This is how off grid I went. I I did not have a computer for four years at all. Mm. Like I just had a phone and I had a Google Drive folder that said Jess's last website ever. (laughs) And I put everything into, like I just, I pulled all of my websites down because I've been doing web development forever. And I pulled everything down, put it into a Google folder and just said, I'm done. And in 2020, when I pulled it all out, I was like, 
I really need to publish this. So I only had to write about 5,000, 7,000 words in order to be able to publish. Mm -hmm. And then I published unedited because I had tried prior, I had tried to have people edit it, but they didn't understand my language. They didn't understand like the heart and soul. And it's like, you cannot take a story from the streets and right. then an academic editor. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I cannot find a definition of snow buddy. I am sorry. Right. <laughs> and what is a token white girl? Please tell me about this token that you have. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so that's a, actually what I do now is I help people write their stories and get on stages and build online businesses around like the really wild stories right because it's really hard to find editors and it's hard to find people that understand the really traumatic stories that need to be told because we survivors of really complex trauma are absolutely everywhere in society we are all over the place Mm -hmm. We just don't wear a label that says, yeah, I was fucked up 20 years ago. Now I'm better and I don't tell anyone about it. Right. And so those people, like they want to tell their stories and they need to because it's actually the blueprint for how others get better. Mm -hmm. It's through modeled behavior that we can actually create radical change. And so helping people write their stories. In fact, one of my clients just published a book this week, The Dark Side of the Moon Child. And she's also a trafficking Mm. survivor. And she is, January is just an incredible individual, runs a nonprofit in Salt Lake, does harm reduction, like needle exchanges Mm. and condoms, like on the streets. Incredible human. And being able to not be the voice of the voiceless, but help people find their voice and have the courage to publish and do it. Like I don't do it. She did it. They do it. This is the one that came out this week that has me all stoked because I got it in the mail yesterday and I'm sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) Because to me, that's power. Being able, it's power for her. It's power for all of us. Right. To be able to rise and stand. Yeah, I can do it. And yeah, she did it. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of others who are working on it. And we all just stand up because right. together our stories create the collective whole of what it means to be human. Right. And so many people are just like, I think, I don't know if, you know, they just don't know how to share their story or they're scared to share their story or they just feel like, if they share it, it's going to make them so much vulnerable, which there is that element. It it might make you a little bit more vulnerable, but also the release factor is so amazing in your healing journey. Really? It is. There is nothing more intense than sharing my story. Like that being that level of vulnerable is like not for everyone. And that's totally okay. On the, at the same, there's some lessons in that. And it's that when you pull all your skeletons out of the closet, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in whatever aspect that is, it is impossible to cancel. I've already outed myself. Yeah. You you can't, have you ever seen Eminem's movie, Eight Mile? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So you remember in that final rap battle? Yeah. And like when he goes and he does that, he outed himself. Right. Before the guy could. Yes. And that's the key is that if you want to share your stories, just let all the skeletons out. Right. Because what are they going to say? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's part of whom you are now. So it's like, this is who I am and this is what I've overcome. Like, and I think, you know, like, because when I was younger and I started this podcast, I, I tell people, yeah, I was, you know, I was a little rebellious. I was definitely in that energy where I was doing some bad shit. You know, I was like hanging out with gangs. I was, you know, rolling around stolen cars, like doing, and I was always truthful with like my kids about it because they knew, like I grew up in Oakland. They knew I grew up in Oakland and they knew that I had a lot of issues growing up. You know, I was involved in a lot of stuff. I was in and out of counseling at an early age. I, I had a good home life there. There was some dynamics that, you know, weren't the best, but my parents were from that generation of that cycle where they were trying to work on themselves as well. So it's, it's hard, you know, because I was like, okay, well now that I'm a professional, you know, nurse, you know, and people see, you know, they might pull up some old gang photos of me where I'm looking super <laughs> gangy, you know, and I got the big hair and the chola, you know, the chola look, but it's like, that's who I was at the time. Like, yeah, that's who I was, you know, that was my element at the time. Did I learn from it? Yes. You know, am I there now? No, but that's, you know, that was my culture that I was in. And at the time that represents me and I learned from it. And I love that piece of me, even though I've grown past it. Yeah. So it's beautiful. Like right, that. Right. And I bet you have the great, the best pictures. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I mean, it definitely caused a lot of hair damage. I will say that I noticed my older age, you know, poofing it up and getting it up there with the Aquanet and the blow dryer. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like I would never go thinning. Like (laughs) the eyebrows. Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful. I have my eyebrows still. Right. I know. (laughs) I'm like, thank goodness those came back. (laughs) Right. I, I, that to me is the beauty of podcasts and TikTok and these types of connections is that we are all on a journey. And when we allow the journey to just be what it was, and we give ourselves permission to change and grow and Mm -hmm. drop the superficial bullshit. Yeah. It is amazing how relatable these things are. Like trafficking seems like a big word. Really? I was a hoe. Right. Do you know how many hoes there were and there are? Like yeah. that's right. That's it. Yeah. 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 You're like, hey. Right. This, the marketing's yeah. just all mixed up. Like they yeah. need to quit putting like, do you know how few kids and chains there are? They're out there. Right. But we're talking it's like one percent. Right. The right. rest of us were just like out hoeing. Some right. by force some because they had no other choice 
-hmm. some because mm -hmm. they didn't have anywhere to sleep and then others because they wanted to experience sexual expression mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons why people are there and all of it right. just is what it is mm -hmm. there's nothing we can do about it and how can we help the people who want to help right who want to get help if they want to get help right and I like that you brought up the woman who was independent, because I think sometimes when they think of the sex industry, they forget to acknowledge that there are a lot of women who are actually out there with no pimp who mm -hmm. are not being trafficked. You know, they are doing this independently. And if that's their choice, what are we going to force them into a recovery when they aren't really even seeking it? So it's like, right. what, you know, what? what, you know, we have to be a little bit more truthful with, <laughs> with ourselves. So, you know what? Huh. Yeah. There, there was a woman, you reminded me, the woman who coined the phrase sex work, mm. her name is Carol Lee. She is mm -hmm. in her seventies. Now this is her book, the unrepentant Four. Oh, As wow. I was speaking, she read like back 2012, 13, mm -hmm. she reached out to me because she saw that I was like, evolving right and she sent me her book and I had realized that I saw her on the Geraldo show when I was 10 years old wow because of her book and she turned into one of my most dear friends she That's is amazing. absolutely amazing and has been an empowered sex worker for well over 40 years that's amazing and it's those relationships Mm -hmm. that allowed me to see the bigger picture mm -hmm. because when we're only looking at our story when we're only seeing the pain of our experiences it's like such tunnel vision that we're not mm -hmm. able to see something larger somebody and else for is, me right yeah it was a relationship with someone who had never experienced exploitation that was mm -hmm. truly an empowered sex worker and loving it mm -hmm. it was that that helped me see the nuances and her relationship with me, like it totally transformed my life because we went into the hard stuff of the laws and society and the language we use mm -hmm. and the marketing. And had it not been for her, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Would have taken right. me a whole lot longer to figure right. it out. Right. So sex workers in a way have saved me twice. That is, yeah, they they have a very they are my heart because yeah. it's real. Yeah. It's yeah. real, it's authentic, and yeah. They're yeah. Yeah. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. I want you to tell us about your upcoming book that you have another one coming out. You are on a mission, <laughs> yeah. honey. I love it. <laughs> I am having so much fun because why not? Right. Why like, not? Really? <laughs> why not? We can choose our own adventure. So right. I have a book coming out in November called how not to lose your shit when everything goes to shit. I love that title. <laughs> I so love that title. Right. <laughs> because um, I never had therapy or counseling. Mm. I was told from the yeah. time I was 13 that I was too messed up. I'd never get better, never heal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who says that to a kid? Like, don't oh do that. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I went on my own journey. I have read a library a few different times. Like, right. I am a very avid reader. And then I just started working with people 
because it was like, hey, this works for me. Oh, so it turns out there's a lot of people who have been told they're too fucked up to heal. And I was like, well, if you're the same as me and I'm doing these things, yeah, I try it, see what happens. And I did that for so long that over time, I really just developed these tools and how my favorite line in the book, oh, it's on my computer, is something like, um, this is not a book on psychology or NLP. It's a book on how to survive from the streets. And so it is like your ghetto guide. Right. Right. Ghetto guide to healing. Yeah. Your chakras are all fucked up. And (laughs) you need to just sit the down and fucking chill out for a second. Yeah. (laughs) So it is my book on healing and like self-healing, self-awareness, but it is so street because we've been lied to. Like healing doesn't have to take a long time. No. And it doesn't have to be hard work. It does Mm-mm. take work and it takes right. honesty, but right. it doesn't have to be difficult. Right. And it doesn't have to take a long time. So that that is the essence of the book. And I'm having a ton of fun. And you can actually go get the two chapters free oh, on nice. my website. Like okay. So, so how how can everybody find you? How can they reach out to you and find you and get those two chapters for free and get in touch with your other book as well? Awesome. Um, actually it's just social media. So I'm sassy Jess sassy everywhere, Jess. everywhere, S- but, but it's spelled funny. It's really short S A S Y J E S. And all of that is going to be in the show notes. So it'll be okay. So share with me your social media that's going to be in the show notes. And I'm so happy you are here. Can you give me two street inspirations that have changed your life like what did you learn from the hood as a token white girl (laughs) (laughs) oh my god you're ready for this yes okay number one is one that i've been working on this week and it's never forget your ghetto (laughs) (laughs) never forget your street slang right (laughs) wait the, the tenacity Because what happens is, is we get normal. Like we grow up, we get normal. Look at me sitting in my big cushy chair on my Mac. Like, you know, like life is normal and we become complacent. And then we are like, my life didn't turn out the way I wanted. When I remember my ghetto, I get shit done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, you remember that struggle of the obstacles you had to come from. And you're like, yes, I get this shit fucking done. Yeah. Go like, let's roll. What are you waiting on? (laughs) And that would be the second thing is really get big, get big and get bold because so many times we play small. We, we forget to play at all. Yeah. We forget that this is just a game of life. Right. And we're all going to die. I know. Like legit, it's <laughs> guaranteed. That we are the going one thing, to die. That's what my dad, yeah, that's what my dad used to always tell me. There's one thing you are guaranteed and that's death. So, so why don't you live, live while you're here? Live while you're here, right. And yeah. that, that honestly, those two things are the reason why I'm so grateful that I'm here because I have the ability, as long as we're breathing, we have the opportunity to heal. As long as there's an opportunity to heal, we can rise, start over, do the next thing and keep going. Right. So 
Right. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This thank has been you. fun. You are awesome. <laughs> thank you. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to Chakras and Cuss Words podcast. And please comment, like, and share this podcast with all of your friends. And all of Jess's links will be in the show notes. Everybody have an amazing day. Bye.